came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here on Sunday morning. We have one great show for you today. We have Dr. Peter Mihalos, Live Long and Prosper. Hopefully you'll make us live to be 100. Dick Morris, what the heck is going on in a presidential election? We have the tourist minister of Greece. Everybody I know is going to Greece lately. And Olga Kefalo Yanni will be giving us a report of the beautiful islands of Greece. KT McFarlane, General John Teichert. And let's start off with former speaker Newt Gingrich on what's going on in the country. Georgia. Georgia. The whole day through. With us today is former speaker Newt Gingrich, a historian, a teacher, the speaker of the house. And right now we are in a, well, a bad time in our country. Uh, and uh, Speaker uh, Gingrich, give us an update. If you were in charge, what the heck would you be doing? Uh, because these are wild times. Well, um, I think, first of all, <clears throat> you always have to talk with the American people and work with the American people. Um, Abraham Lincoln once said that with, with public sentiment, everything is possible. Without public sentiment, nothing is possible. Uh, Reagan in his farewell address said, you know, people said I won great victories, but the truth is you, the American people, won all of those victories. So the first thing you got to do is have a president who levels with the American people and lays out how dangerous the world has become uh, and what we have to do to keep America safe. Uh, and I think that until people realize how really dangerous things are, from North Korea to the Straits of Taiwan uh, to the middle of the entire Middle East uh, to uh, Ukraine uh, to things happening in Latin America with places like uh, Venezuela or the growing power of the cartels in Mexico. This, this is far and away the most dangerous period we've seen since the 1930s and the rise of Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan. So. You know, we need to take it seriously. And what, what scares me, I, I read the report by the independent counsel, Mr. Herr, uh, you know, his explanation for why they would not charge President Biden is that no jury would believe that a man that old with a memory that bad could be capable of willfully doing something. Well, what is that? that's the commander in chief, uh, I, I thought for the first time, that we are really drifting towards a constitutional crisis because in a world this dangerous, you can't have a commander in chief uh, who doesn't know what he's doing or where he is. I agree with you uh, 100%. Uh, the fact is, uh, when it comes, the, some of the things he's done with Iran and some of the things he's done with China 
it's the fact is that, uh, like China, the batteries, it was a bipartisan agreement not to, to buy that many batteries for the electric vehicles from China, and he vetoed it. With, with Iran, uh, he took it from 400,000 barrels a day up to 4 million barrels a day and made Iran zillionaires again. I, I mean, I just don't understand. I, 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 I don't understand he, if he has a 30% approval rating, who is stupid enough to vote for him on a part of those 30%. I, I just don't know it, uh, 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 Speaker Gingrich. Well, look, I think there are hardcore Democrats who are going to stick with him a long, long time. Uh, but I also think that we're now in a situation where you have to recognize that <clears throat> this, this is beyond ideology. I mean, I think the points you're making, particularly about Iran and China, uh, you, you don't know whether it's ideology or it's corruption. We know that there have been Iranian agents in the Defense Department and the State Department, literally people whose loyalty was to Iran, are working in the Biden State Department and the Biden Defense Department. So you look at all that and you wonder, you know, what is going on here? Uh, and at the same time, uh, you have uh, all of this growing evidence of how much money has been paid to the Biden family uh, from China, Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Romania, I mean, it's, it's astonishing. So you have a combination of corruption, ideology, and frankly, a guy who's increasingly cognitively challenged and, and may literally be out of it. I mean, it's, it's, it all comes together in a way that I think is uh, very, very sobering. Uh, Mr. Speaker, let, let's talk about the big picture. Ukraine, Israel, I've always been a supporter of Israel, and, and, and we may be uh, Iran so rich that they're funding uh, Hamas, they're funding uh, Hezbollah, they're funding uh, 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 the uh, uh, Houthis, and every time what what President Biden tried to do is bring down the price of oil, it was down to sixty eight dollars. They panicked, so they 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 enlisted the Houthis to create panic in the. Uh, in the Red Sea and the Suez Canal, and the price of oil went back up to 77, 78. And, and uh, I don't understand if if there's, uh, uh, we have a problem in the Suez Canal, and, and why don't we just go in and knock them all out? Uh, uh, the the Houthis, the terrorists attacking our, our boats and uh, and attacking uh, the shipping. Why Why aren't we doing that? Why don't we have our military doing that? I, I think this administration, look, <clears throat> think of this as the third Obama administration, um, the third Obama term. Uh, Obama had this fantasy that we could somehow uh, for, work out a deal with the Iranians. They would end up liking us, uh, and we could... Uh, somehow rely on them to solve problems in the Middle East. Now, the Iranian dictatorship is a religious dictatorship. Uh, the parliament in Iran routinely chants death to Israel and death to America. The Ayatollah Khamenei, who is the supreme leader of Iran, went on national television and said, I just want people to understand 
that uh, we are not saying this as a slogan. This is our policy. I mean, just just think about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you've got a you see you got a country whose whose dictatorship is saying to you, um, we are committed to um, destroying you. And you have a Biden administration. Man, if if you wanted to stop the Houthis and you wanted to stop the Hezbollah, you would start by stopping Iran because Iran funds all of this. The Iranians arm the bad guys, train the bad guys, fund the bad guys. And for us to simply focus on the puppets doesn't solve anything because it's the puppeteer who's the real problem. Yes, they, the, they are supplying the money, which we gave them because President Biden caused the price of oil to go from $55 a, a barrel up to $100 a barrel at that point. That's right. And, and, and he lifted all the sanctions. So suddenly the Iranians could sell their oil on the world market. And it's, it, this is, you know, by any reasonable standard, this is madness. Uh, the, the, the United States is following a policy which weakens our own economy, increases our dependence on the world, strengthens our enemies. And you have to look at that and think, you know, are these people deliberately anti-American? Or are they just stunningly incompetent? Ukraine. And I don't think we know. Ukraine. What the heck is going to happen there? You know, uh, unfortunately, I'm one of the people that hear from some of our intelligence sources and a lot of the product we gave the Ukraine to defend themselves and to fight um, ends up in bitcoins of of certain uh, ministers. That's why oh, bitcoins that's have right. gone. Yeah, bitcoins have gone from seventeen thousand. I think it hit a new high on Friday of forty-seven thousand, forty-five thousand. Um, and then the United States says to the people in Ukraine, "We're giving you this, but you're not allowed to cross over the Russian border." I didn't right. understand that. Well, that, that's because Putin literally threatens nuclear war. I mean, yes. Putin's position is, I get to attack them. They do not get to attack me. And if you equip them to attack me, I'll go to nuclear weapons. Yes. And I think they have absolutely convinced the Biden administration. You know, in a lot of ways, and you know this is a great businessman who's done a lot of deals. Sometimes the question is, who intimidates who? And when Donald Trump was president, it was very clear that Trump intimidated all these guys. And they didn't want to mess with him. They didn't want to take any big risks. Uh, they certainly didn't want to get in a fight with him. <clears throat> Biden is the opposite. And now, of course, you have this report from the special counsel who says the reason we would not take him to trial is he's too old and he's too pathetic uh, and uh, his memory is too bad. And the jury would never believe he was deliberately doing anything because they don't think he's capable of being deliberate. Now, imagine every senior leader in the world, Putin in Russia, Xi Jinping in, in China, uh, you name it, all of them got a briefing this week based on the report and then based on Biden's own behavior. I mean, he, he, he talked about having chatted with two national leaders, one German, one French, both of whom were dead at the time he said he talked to him, at the press conference where he was going to reassure us how smart he was, he mistook the 
president of Egypt for the president of Mexico. Um, <clears throat> you know, and you watch that and you realize this is the guy under our system who is commander in chief. It's He's the guy scary. who has scary. Yeah, yeah. What is he has an army officer with him at all or, or Air Force at all times holding a briefcase which has all of the codes for launching nuclear missiles. Now, if he made the same and, wrong decision on nuclear mess that he made in Afghanistan, ordering his people, even after they told him we shouldn't do it, get out of Afghanistan, he ordered the people, get out now. Right. Is he capable of pushing that button? Well, you, you don't have any idea. Or, or could he push the button by mistake? Yes. Uh, or, or could he behave so weak that we get pushed into a corner by either Russia or China or, or North Korea, which I think is the place. You have to pay attention to North Korea, Russia, China, and Iran, all simultaneously, uh, because any one of them could start a really huge war. Newt Gingrich, thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you for being there for the United States of America, and thank you for your common sense, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Talk to you soon. I say just an old sweet song Keeps Georgia on my mind This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. What is today's Dr. Peter Michalos, our in-house genius, knows a lot about history, knows a lot about medicine, and uh, he has an expression, live long and prosper. Well, we all want to live long and prosper, uh, Dr. Michalos. Uh, uh, what, what, what do you have for us today? Well, first of all, it's great to be on the Cats Roundtable and uh, spreading the word on ways to become healthy. And today we're going to talk about... Uh, fascinating topic that you and I first started talking about over two years ago, but there's more and more literature coming out now about viruses and that viruses have some fraction of intelligence. And in a way, they're kind of alive because they're, they, they, they actually possess, they take over and possess other animals' uh, cells and they go into other animals because they don't really have the ability to reproduce on their own. They're basically hijackers of other life systems and life forms, and they take over the machinery, like taking over the copy machine of their host, and they multiply. And they are sort of alive again because they're like parasites. They basically need a place to live, need a place to replicate, and they treat, for example, humans like a hotel. They go in, they take over the copy machine, they take over the energy system or food supply, and they use others' energy to multiply. They, they skip and they bypass a cell when it appears that the, 
that they're infected, which I think is wild that they actually know and they, 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 they find the cell, they see the abnormal cell, and then they basically take over the cell. And they, and they say that, you know, I, I see that this cell is infected, so they're more efficient. They're efficient takeover of other cells of uh, other parts of the body. And, you know, the differences are like bacteria. They have their own systems and their own ability to replicate, but the viruses don't have their ability to um, replicate. And um, the, other, the other thing that makes them very, very interesting is that they, they change themselves and they mutate to survive. We found out with COVID-19 that viruses, especially in pandemics, they tend to become very uh, infective. They jump from one human to the other. And they, um, not, not only that they jump from one human to the other, they, they, they learn to be deadly. And over time, they become less deadly because they realize if they keep killing their host, they're not going to survive. And a fascinating example of viral intelligence is rabies. Rabies makes animals paranoid so that they start biting other animals so it's their way of spreading. And when an animal is infected with rabies, they actually drink less water so that their saliva is more concentrated and there are more viruses in there so they can spread more virus. And to me, that's that, amazing. That is, that is amazing. But uh, Now, let me ask you a question. Can, what, what, what do you think the difference between a, vir- a virus is between a virus and a bacteria? It, it, it is different. Yeah, because uh, the, the 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 virus is almost like a an entity that takes over and possesses a cell. It doesn't have its own ability to multiply its own copying machine, so it has to take over. Whereas bacteria have their own mechanism, their own supply, their own energy, whereas the virus has none of that. But there are things that we can do to boost the immune system, and I just had a nice conversation to ask someone who's a real board-certified internist anti-aging specialist, Dr. Magdalena Swarczewski, and I asked her, what can we do and what do you tell your patients about getting stronger to prevent viruses? And it turns out that sleep, seven to nine hours of sleep, is very important to help uh, boost the immune system, healthy eating, of course, and vitamin C, zinc, and some copper in your multivitamin, which, of course, you would discuss the doses with your doctor and everything we talk about, always discuss with your doctors first. And she also mentioned that minimizing alcohol is also extremely important in boosting the immune system and helping us to repel viruses because alcohol use also apparently weakens the immune system and we become more susceptible to viruses and bacteria invading us. And it turns out that it also affects the gut microbiome and the balance between the good and the bad bacteria because we now know that about 80% of our immune system happens to be in our intestinal gut. We have these cells also called white blood cells that focus around, float around our body to kill, help to kill bacteria and fight infection. It turns out that 75% of those white blood cells actually hover around the intestinal tract which is also fascinating. So it turns out our intestine is very active in our immune system and protecting us from viruses and bacteria. 
And the future is going to be better antivirals to block the viral copy machine. And uh, we're starting to see more and more coming out. There's a new one coming out of Japan for COVID that seems to be highly effective, just like Tamiflu is highly effective against influenza. Because the problem sometimes vaccines can be good for many diseases, but the problem is the variants and the intelligence of these viruses. They keep mutating and adapting. So the, the vaccine you get today might be only good for a, a virus that was two generations before that that's already mutated. So we need better viral replication. But the most important thing is see your doctor, see your good internist, and get some good advice and do things to boost your immune system like we just discussed earlier to maximize your resistance and be prepared and get through the cold and flu season. Always stay well hydrated and, of course, get plenty of sleep. Yes, the old the old-fashioned thing where it says get a good night's sleep and you'll be okay by the morning. Yes, the body does, as we discussed on one of our last shows, amazing healing. Even the brain does all kinds. It's almost like an automatic dishwasher we have with our cerebral spinal fluid and the brain that cleans out many different substances. So that's part of a very important component of health. Well, Dr. Peter Mihalo, stay well, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you for, for uh, teaching our people, our listeners, how to live longer. Live long and prosper yourself. Thank you so much. Thanks to the Cats Roundtable for always getting the truth out and keeping our audiences healthy. The Cats Roundtable. With us today is Dick Morris, and uh, he was an advisor to President Clinton and advisor to President uh, Trump, and he's on at noontime to 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoons, and I'll be listening to him today. Uh, Dick Morris, there's so much of a mess going on between uh, President Biden and, and some of the research that came out. You tell us what the heck is going on. Well, only in Washington could there be an urgent breaking news alert that the emperor has no clothes. <laughs> Everybody else has concluded that. And now, finally, a special prosecutor comes along and says Biden is so senile and so demented that there's no point in going against him because he couldn't testify. And even if he did, they would throw it out because of mental incompetence. And uh, that is such a damning statement uh, by somebody who was appointed by Merrick Gar- Garland, who was uh, Biden's appointee. And uh, I think that, that what that says really is that everybody has to concede that this is the end of the road for Biden. Uh, He just can't continue. Uh, He just can't continue in this shape. And the issue is not so much can he continue in this shape right now, but what's he going to be in four years? This guy has a degenerative disease. You don't recover from that. It gets worse and worse and worse. And inevitably, if he gets reelected, he'll have to resign either by a 25th Amendment forcing out or by some deal. And uh, Kamala Harris, God help us, will become president. And, uh, and you know, her cackles will become legendary. And, um, you know, Spiro Agnew was always Richard Nixon's insurance policy because we wouldn't get rid of him because we'd have to have Agnew as president. And now Biden has Kamala Harris, who nobody wants, and he's 10 points behind Biden in the polls. So... 
I think that the but at some point everybody has to agree that the emperor has no clothes that this guy cannot continue as president, and the Twenty Fifth Amendment was made for that. Uh, it permits a majority of the cabinet to say that the president is no longer capable of doing his job, and he is then removed, and the vice president takes office, and then each House of Congress has to approve that by a two-thirds vote. So if there's a government-wide consensus, they can do that. Uh, but the problem with the consensus is Kamala Harris. I think that what's going to happen here is that I think we're going to go to the convention. Biden may be forced out of office before that. It's always possible. I mean, you can't measure the pace of deterioration, particularly not when the public eye like he is. But uh, he uh, goes to the convention with enough delegates to get nominated, and then he releases them at the last minute and says, I'm urging people to vote for Michelle Obama. And everybody goes whoopee and we and his senility has forgotten the scandals don't matter anymore. The economy, uh, his economic record isn't admissible, and Michelle has this huge burst of momentum. And I think that's what the Democrats have up their sleeve. And I'm talking about this this much because I want to stop the wow element. I want to stop the surprise element, the unveiling, uh, by swagging it and uh, making and encouraging people to look at what this woman's record really is. She's a dedicated advocate of racial segregation to help blacks move ahead and uh, and of DEI and uh, of uh, reparations and all that stuff. And I think once we realize that, we'll be less happy with her. But I think that it is crucial that we understand their move, which is that they see Biden becoming increasingly incapable. They can't conceal it. And as they don't conceal it, it becomes more apparent, and we move toward Michelle Obama. And uh, what are you going to be talking about at noontime today on your show? Well, I think I'll talk about this a lot. <laughs> I think it's pretty damn significant when a guy appointed by the attorney general says the president is incompetent and incapable and can't function. And I think that creates its own political reality. You know, senility is not the kind of thing you can quantify. It's not like you test positive for a virus or something. It's it's a cumulative, ongoing thing. And when a special prosecutor says that, uh, everybody has to take notice of it. Understood. I'll be listening today at 12 noon on WABCradio.com. Thank you so much, Dick Morris. Thank you, Kat. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCradio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. So with us today is Olga Kefaloyani, and she is the Minister of Tourism in Greece. And Greece has become one of the most popular places for tourism. I mean, I, I meet all my friends and everybody's going to Greece. They love the islands. They, they love the weather. They love the people. They love the food. Olga, thank you for being uh, in New York. Thank you so much for, for hosting me. And uh, thank you very much for promoting Greek tourism. So I guess uh, you're going to be uh, doing part of my job in the States. <laughs> well, you know something? I was born in Greece. And every time I go to Greece... And I hear the Greek music, and I'm on the water and uh, in, uh, in a boat, and uh, I got tears in my eyes. I cry 
because I, I maybe I feel uh, the love. I love the food. I love the people. And uh, the islands are so beautiful. And that's all my friends are going to Greece on honeymoons. They're going to Greece uh, to get married. How much has Greek tourism increased in the last few years? Greece has been doing very well uh, when it comes to tourism uh, the past uh, 10 years. I was actually a minister of tourism uh, back at the time when we had the economic crisis. And tourism was the sector of the economy who actually really supported Greece's comeback in terms of the economy. And uh, right now it represents almost 20% of Greece's GDP, both in terms of uh, direct and indirect uh, contribution. Still, we believe that there's more potential when it comes to the American market, to the U.S. market. And this is why I'm here uh, in New York, where we also have an office of the Greek National Tourism Organization. Because, of course, we're doing uh, a lot of uh, things to promote Greece and uh, to to, uh, make it um, even more attractive for American visitors. But um, I think that uh, one of the challenges is um, to be able to to, uh, actually attract visitors year-round because uh, Greece is not only uh, attractive uh, in the summer months. Of course, I know that people associate Greece with the Greek islands and the wonderful seas and the beach locations, but I think that it's equally beautiful and you can have some uh, very, very unique experiences in lesser-known islands of Greece, and also in the mainland. So we would like to promote uh, Greece as a destination which offers unique experiences year-round. And I think that um, you you spoke about people, and I think this is what makes Greece uh, very special. They love the people. Yeah, because I think that hospitality is actually inherent as a characteristic in Greek people. So I think everybody feels very special when they come to Greece. They feel, I mean, you have you are originally from Greece, but I think that everyone who who visits our beautiful country feels uh, very very welcome and feels part of uh, of the local community. So so we believe that this this authenticity, you know, being really a part of uh, of what Greece is all about. Is, is what makes us uh, very unique. But again, uh, as I mentioned before, we don't have only beautiful places and uh, beautiful people in the islands. We also have beautiful people and places in the other parts of Greece, in mainland Greece, uh, even in the mountainous areas. We see a lot of people nowadays visiting even the mountainous areas of, of, uh, of Greece, uh, taking hiking activities, uh, even, even coming to the mountain resorts, the ski resorts of Greece. So, uh, you know, it's a little bit of everything to appeal to every taste. And uh, it's also important also to note that uh, it's not only a destination for, let's say, people who have been there before. I think it's also very appealing to the younger generation who will find other uh, other experiences in Greece that they would uh, it's definitely connect to. It's becoming a destination uh, for for weddings, for honeymoons. Now, uh, have you seen the new movie, uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding Three? Well, actually, I haven't. I, I've seen the other two movies, but I haven't seen. Uh, I saw three. it. <laughs> I saw it Saturday night, and I won't tell you much about it. But the big picture was uh, the father died uh, in Chicago. And the daughter promised that she's going to take all the family, 20 of them, to the island that they were from, Corfu. And I, I will tell you, 
I cried through watching the whole movie. Me and my wife watched mm-hmm. it. Margo watched it last Saturday night. And I cried. And uh, they took 20 people. And they had a reunion of the Portocalli family. <laughs> Uh, and uh, it, it was wonderful. And I think things, movies like that promote tourism. And w- what else would you like to do in America to promote tourism? Because once the American people, once they see Greece, they love Greece. Well, it's true that um, through movies or uh, series, this is a very a direct way of uh, capturing people's uh, people's attention and you know, increasing their, their, their desire to visit place uh, like Corfu, as you said. This is a beautiful island, a, a, a very a green island. Uh, uh, natural scenery is fantastic. Uh, the old town of Corfu is fantastic. So I'm sure that people would, would love to visit Corfu as uh, um, other places that have been portrayed in, uh, in movies or series. So actually... What is your favorite island? Come on, I'm from Crete, so of course I would answer oh, Crete. That's almost a self-explanatory uh, question and answer. But you know, Crete is a is a, a very large island, uh, and you can have very uh, tough people in Crete. I heard. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. They are the, maybe they are, but they're very hospitable. Yes. So actually, what you have to is know is the food different in Crete w- than the com- other than the other islands. When you come to Crete, you have to know that you will definitely put on weight. <laughs> it's impossible to leave without putting on weight because they, they the people are so hospitable. They 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 feel that to show their hospitality, they they have to make you eat and drink uh, all day long. But um, you would find like a very very. Uh, big uh, diversity when it comes to Crete. You can be in the mountainous areas, and then in 20 minutes you can have uh, a beach uh, uh, vacation. So you can have all sorts of very different, and of course the culture is there, the the ancient palaces, the Minoan palaces, and this is also an aspect of Greece which uh, we feel we we should promote more. The the, the cultural aspect, you know, that um, it's full of uh, very interesting monuments and places where you can have like amazing, amazing cultural activities. One, one more thing I want to ask you before uh, uh, we're going to come up on our break uh, is um, we talked about your favorite island. The weather. The weather is so good for so many months. How many months do you think you can tell people it's like great weather? Is it like 9, 10, 11? Well, Actually, the, the the weather in Greece is moderate year-round. And if I would give one tip to people who would like to visit Greece, especially, let's say, if they want to visit the Acropolis, I would say, really, you should come outside the summer months. You would enjoy the, the Acropolis uh, with... In uh, Athens. Uh, in Athens. Uh, with, uh, of course, it's less, less crowded. And then you can stroll around the, uh, the very picturesque old uh, town of uh, Plaka in Athens with uh, the amazing re- little restaurants because, of course, gastronomy is a very big part of the offering. So I think that um, one should visit uh, Athens and all other Greek destinations 
outside the summer months, not only in the summer months, but also outside the summer months, to have a different kind of experience. Thank you. Olga Kefalogiani, Minister of Tourism Greece, thank you so much for stopping by, and thank you and for being here. I love Greece, and the American people love Greece. We hope to see you there soon. And we hope to see the Americans who are listening to us in Greece sometime very soon. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Katie McFarlane, served as Deputy National Security Advisor uh, under Michael Flynn uh, for the Trump administration. Well, KT, there's so many things going wrong in our country right now. There's so many problems. Where do you want to start? I guess what really has struck me this last week is the special counsel's report on Joe Biden. First of all, they're not going to charge him for a crime, the same crime that they have pursued against President Trump. So it's, a, it's an unequal system of justice, a two-tiered system of justice coming out of Washington, one thing for the Republicans, another for the Democrats. But from my perspective, the foreign policy wheelhouse, I am really upset to see right in everybody's face what the Joe Biden is who's presenting himself to our foreign leaders. And I particularly am struck by Joe Biden's press conference Thursday night, where he basically had a temper tantrum saying, I'm just fine, I'm just fine. And yet it was contrasted with the interview that Tucker Carlson had with the Russian president, Putin, where Putin is sharp, he's commanding, you may not like what he said, but he's a guy in charge. And I'm thinking, wait, the president of the United States is is elderly, diminished, et cetera. We all know, we can all see it. And he's going up against these sharp, aggressive, domineering global leaders, and it puts us in a terrible position, especially as we're going into an era, a period where there are going to be a lot of crises in the next 6, 9, 12 months, whether it's in Ukraine, whether it's in the Middle East with Iran and the Red Sea, whether it's with China and Taiwan, and we're going into it with a leader who doesn't have a full deck. You're absolutely right there, and... uh... I'm scared he doesn't have a full deck, and uh, he makes uh, irrational decisions uh, sometimes that even uh, though, uh, like in Afghanistan, even though his generals tell him, don't pull out the way you're pulling out, he said uh, he practically told his generals, screw you, do it my way, and get out tomorrow. And um, that is concerning to our country. Um, what else do you, you feel uneasy about at 3 o'clock in the morning? Well, I'm worried about Iran and the nuclear threat. I think Russia, Ukraine, that'll sort itself out with time. It's a stalemate right now. I don't see that it escalates, but I don't see it gets solved, certainly not by President Biden. But I really worry about what happens in the Middle East, where Iran could decide, um, especially because it's able to push the United States around, whether it's with Israel, whether it's in the greater Middle East, whether it's in the Red Sea, that they're just, they're calling all the shots, they're calling all the tunes, and we're reacting to them, and not successfully, I might add, that they may decide this is their breakout moment, and they're going to announce they have nuclear weapons. Therefore, all hands off the Middle East, Iran controls the shipping, which is a very major part of global shipping through the Red Sea. And then we're in a very different world, because not just if Iran has nuclear weapons, but the other countries, Saudi Arabia, they'll go buy nuclear weapons, Turkey will want some, 
And I just keep thinking back when I taught a class in nuclear weapons, strategic nuclear forces, when I was at MIT in the late 70s, early 80s. The great fear at the time would be proliferation, that a lot of countries would get nuclear weapons, and then we would live in a hair-trigger world. And I think it hasn't happened for 40 years, but I think it's about to happen. I think uh, I think Iran is very, very close to uh, making an announcement, and the more time we give them, uh, I think we should be worried. And and uh, Biden, I believe, uh, President Biden has forbidden Israel from attacking Iran, uh, which they might have and uh, might have gotten rid of their. Uh, you know, wh- why would we stop Israel from from taking them out the, the, their nuclear facility? Well, remember, this administration is anti-Israel, and a lot of the people working for Joe Biden, in fact, the people who are probably calling the shots, a lot of the shots, are, are pro-Iran. So they, their whole strategy, whether it was the Obama administration or the Biden administration, is we're going to be really nice to Iran. We're going to appease them. We're going to placate them. Then they're going to be really responsible players on the world stage. And they have ignored 40 years of history where Iran has had two goals throughout, from the very beginning, from day one. Get the United States out of the Middle East and destroy the state of Israel. Kill Americans, kill Jews. Iran has not altered that goal in the 45 years it's been in power. It has only changed tactics, and the Biden administration just hasn't learned. There's no reset here. And so they're continuing to placate, to appease, to compromise. And all the while, I think Iran, as you point out, is clicking it really close to nuclear weapons. Once they declare and have nuclear weapons, it's a very different world. We should have taken preventive action. We should have worked with the Israelis, whether it's with cyber technology or other methods of setting back Iran's nuclear program. But that seems to no longer be the case. I agree 100%, KT. Uh, KT, we have another 30 seconds left. What, What else do you want to tell American people? Tell the American people to just make sure they vote. Just get involved in politics, because if we don't, change the administration in the November elections, guess what? We're going to have Joe Biden or even worse for the next four years. God bless you. Thank you for everything you do for America and continue to speak out and we'll catch up soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. The Cats Roundtable. With us today is General John Dragon Tykert. A former Brigadier General in, in Space Force and also Undersecretary of the Air Force in International Affairs. Uh, General Tykert, uh, give us an update. What the heck is going on? I mean, there's so many moving parts right now. Uh, nobody really knows. No, John, thanks again for having me. And the Middle East continues to be chaotic because of American weakness. And we do know now that over two weeks ago, those three Americans were killed in Jordan. And in the last week, the Biden administration finally has started to do some of the things to respond that if they would have done originally after the first attack against Americans in October, none of this in the last several months would have happened. Uh, Understood. Um, I've talked to so many people and I've said they got us all uh, uh, tied up uh, with the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. I mean, normally, wouldn't our uh, uh, forces go in and wipe out the terrorists that are, are blocking uh, uh, our uh, our shipping? 
You're right, John. It is absolutely embarrassing and harmful to Americans that we now see the Red Sea in chaos. And here's a statistic that I heard recently that I think Americans need to pay attention to, that in the last couple of months, the price of a container shipped from Asia to the eastern part of the United States has increased 50 percent because many of these shipping companies no longer go through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. That means that inflation here in America is a part of a result of American weakness in our inability to stop a ragtag terrorist organization in the Houthis from wreaking havoc in the Red Sea. Uh, that is, you know, everybody that, that, that wanted the price of food to come down, they are, re- you know, they are creating a, a severe problem. And uh, wow. And also, I think we have a problem in the Panama Canal where the Panama Canal is a little bit low and some of the ships from Asia can't go through it. No, so that's exactly right. And this is a good way to forecast the challenges we would face if we are so weak that the Chinese Communist Party decides to do something in the South China Sea. Because while about 12% of global commerce goes through the Red Sea, over a third of global commerce goes through the South China Sea. And so magnify at least by three times the impact on Americans if there was a conflict in the South China Sea and over Taiwan. And that's just an indication of how we need to demonstrate strength of capability and will as Americans so that Iran, China, Russia, North Korea, and others don't do those things that we don't want them to do. Understood. Um, What else is keeping you up at 3 o'clock in the morning lately? No, it it continues to be a burden as we just crossed the four-month threshold of the brutal terrorist attack against Israel. I went to an event up in Baltimore this week, mourning and remembering the hostages, somewhere between 80 to 130, that still exist there in captivity uh, under Hamas. And you think about the challenges of Israel trying to defeat Hamas, and regain the hostages and deter others in the area from attacking them. And it's just such an untenable, difficult circumstance for the Israelis that we need to continue our unwavering support as they struggle to try to meet those objectives. Understood. Um, The borders. So many uh, senators, uh, GOP senators especially, fought amongst themselves on the border bill. And uh, at the end, I guess uh, they shot it down because it, I think I think it was wrong to have 5,000 uh, uh, people coming through the borders and we didn't even know who they were. How do you, would you feel? John, it is a multifaceted crisis there that really started on day one of the Biden administration. It's a national security crisis. It's a public health crisis. It's a public safety crisis, and it's a humanitarian crisis. But my concern about the deal that was not made in the Senate this week is that the deal was better than the status quo. And instead of 3 million illegals coming across a year, maybe we would have decreased it to 2 million. And I realized that it wasn't perfect, but maybe it was a stepping stone so that when we regain the White House and the Senate in November of 2024 – then we could make the better bill. But in the meanwhile, we had a chance to make things better for Americans over the course of the next nine months. And unfortunately, political dysfunction caused us to fail to do so. 
Understood. Uh, is there anything else you uh, uh, you want to tell the American people? Uh, how is the Senate race going? I appreciate you asking. It's going great. We just hit four months, and all of the things that we're trying to do, especially in engaging with as many of the 6.2 million Marylanders as possible, have been going very well. We've been crisscrossing the state. We've been bringing our conservative message with real solutions to people, even in inner-city Baltimore uh, or Prince George's County or far west or far east. And I really think that Americans are thirsting for leaders, not politicians, to finally wrestle us back to being able to solve problems that Americans really care about. Well, General uh, Tyker, thank you so much for uh, uh, calling in this Sunday morning, and we're going to catch up with you again real soon. John, I love being on. Thank you very much. The Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.